evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Atlantic Bushcraft Adventures. Tonight we are on episode 180, and as you can see, we have the ladies joining us tonight. And not just Melissa like last week, but we have Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> We're fully equipped in Melissa's. So, for our listeners out there, this is going to be very confusing and all the more reason to come join one of our live shows. But uh, for tonight, we are talking about how to feel safe as a solo female camper. And honestly, Ben, this was something you kind of brought to my attention. You uh, noticed it online. There, there is actually a fair amount of questions after you had mentioned it. I did a little looking around today and it is, it's actually a pretty common question floating around there on forums and stuff. Yeah, and it, I... I've been on some Reddit forums and a few other forums, and, and it seems to come up quite a lot because you see all kinds of guys that are doing solo camping on YouTube, and there is a few women that do it on, on YouTube also. And, but that's the question. A lot of, of women are saying, I want to do a solo trip. I want to do this, but I don't feel safe. Or how do you prepare? Or how do you do this? Or how do you do that? And it seems quite a common question. And recently, um, even at, at work, I've talked to a few individuals, and they've asked about camping. Not necessarily as a solo, but as, as women getting out to camp. So I thought it was a good subject that that's something that we could cover off. So if you want to, if you're a female, and if you're a guy, a lot of this stuff is gonna gonna work. But if you want to go out and do a solo trip, here's some advice that we have for you, uh, and we we hope it'll be helpful. Yeah, exactly. And we brought uh, our counterparts on for their perspective on this, too. So it's not just Ben and I, of course, saying our opinions. We have some, you know, legitimate insight because uh, both of our wives are gracious enough that they've actually enjoyed the outdoors with us. And they like getting out there and they have their own experiences and things like that. So hopefully there's going to be a lot of good info here for, you know, females especially, but hopefully everybody. I thought you were going to turn around and say both of our wives happen to be female, but... <laughs> well, that too, I guess. I'll, I'll be honest, when Robert said that this was going to be the topic for tonight, I felt like we had covered it, but I guess it was more just interspersed through ever, other episodes. Um, yeah. Like, last week we covered Embracing the Adventure, and it was about, like, not succumbing to that fear mindset and to just embrace the adventure of it all and to take chances and get out there and do what you want to do. Um, but we've never really had a conversation kind of all together that was really focused on kind of women exploring. So I'm excited to do it, I think. Yeah, and and to, to sort of give credence to, to a lot of this, like, Melissa has taken multiple trips without me, much to my secret, <laughs> where I was jealous that she was getting out to do a trip through Lake Kedji or with her friends. Back, back jealousy goes both ways <laughs> yeah. when you get to go without me. Yeah. So, so, you know, it, it is enjoyable. And sometimes, you know, it's nice to get out without the girls, without the guys, whatever. Like, it's nice to go with different people. And we both appreciate that. We understand that. And I, I always think, oh, gee, they're going to have so much fun. But there is some stuff to think about. And the very first thing I thought we should throw out there is if you're going to go solo, just know that there's inherent dangers in being solo in the beginning. Because if you get injured, there's nobody to call or help you necessarily. So you have to be a little bit more careful when you're solo camping. And I think that's just something I wanted to sort of make sure you get out there is that you don't have the backup. And we generally recommend... You know, on this channel, we've almost always recommended 
go with a partner, go with somebody else, because there is that that inherent safety of, of going with somebody else. Uh, that being said, sometimes you do need that alone time. And sometimes there is nobody and you, just, you have that free time. You just say, I want to go do something. And I don't want to waste a weekend where I could have gone and checked out that lake, that river, that waterfall, that, that, that sunset. And so you, you decide you want to go yourself. And, and you know, that's cool. Um, just take that extra precaution. Because if you do slip and fall, nobody's there to, to sort of help you. Or... And I guess just some general guidelines on that. We had a couple thoughts on that, Ben. And I'm sure you guys can agree and add some in too. Uh, this is for, you know, anybody that's going out solo is always check in with a buddy. Uh, let them know where you're going, where you to, when you're going to be back. Uh, if you're going for an extended period of time, it might be worth, you know, having a check-in once a night or something like that, or some method of communication with somebody else just to kind of let them know where you're at, be it by text, cell phone, spot locators, uh, personal GPS trackers, like some way that people kind of at least have a little contact with you. And, and this is one of the subjects I kind of wanted to bring bring up and a little bit different for potentially a female um, camper. If you're going out by yourself, it wouldn't, it, you definitely should let people you know and trust know where you're going. Don't advertise it to everyone. Don't go on, say, Facebook and say, I'm going to go solo camping at such and such a site at such and such a location. So it's out there for everyone to see. Because I think a lot of the fear for a solo female camper is, what if I run into some guy? What if I don't, you know, and I don't feel safe, but what can I do? And I don't think the average person that's already out there is looking to assault or track or, you know. Cause but trouble. What? Not looking to cause trouble generally. No. But if you advertise that you're going somewhere by yourself in a remote location, and then there is some unsavory character that's following you, stopping you through media, whatever, and they know where you're to, you're opening yourself up there you know, it's probably a good idea for, for guys. We don't always, when we make trips, we don't always pre-advertise. Oftentimes we tell people we're going after we get back as, as, a, as a wide thing because you don't want the wrong people crashing your camping, whether it's just because they're annoying and you don't see them or, you know, you don't want the wrong people there. So keeping it the people you tell to the, the people you trust most uh, like if I was going, especially when I was in Nova Scotia, I would often tell you that I'm going somewhere. And I'd tell my wife and I'd tell a few other choice friends. And that way, if something happened, there was more than one person that knew where I was if there was an incident. But if you advertised it wide, so you go on Reddit and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that and say you're going somewhere, that yes, everyone knows you're going somewhere. And it doesn't make you safer. It means it, it potentially could add to your vulnerability. Because everyone knows where you're to. And they also know your house is empty. And I was just about to say, that's a personal security of your home as well. You're advertising, the house is potentially empty and I'm far away. Yeah. And your vehicle is going to be left somewhere. Like There's so many things when you tell and they know where you're going when you're coming back. And you have a, you give them the schedule. Uh, and that's just, it's, it's a general safety thing in life. Like, don't advertise where you're going to absolutely everyone. Everyone doesn't need to know where you're going. Everyone doesn't need to know what you're doing. And if they do then they know everything about you and they, they can create a lot of hassle for you. They can you know, mess with your vehicle, mess with your home, find you where you're to. Uh, so there's, there's a good safety in waiting a few
few hours, a few days to post a lot of stuff because people don't know need to know what you're doing right away. You want to share that stuff. You want to share that awesome sunset. Do it. You don't have to do it that night. That that opens you up to to some extra uh, risks. And Steve made a great point here in the comments, and uh, Steve joins us from here in Nova Scotia as well. He said, um, not taking away from the topic, but if I ran into a bunch of guys in the woods, I'd be very nervous and on guard simply because it's remote. I believe most of this will apply to all solo campers. And that's a prime um, comment, honestly, because the reality is, even if I'm out in the woods and I run into a couple people, I'm going to be a little on edge. I may not feel threatened, but I'm going to be... I, I think it's human nature all the way around to be a little bit of apprehensive if you meet strangers in a remote location and you're on your own <laughs> yeah because you you know that your your normal safeguards and, and backups and protections are not in place anymore you don't have what you know you are alone there's no quick easy way out. and if you're can't you know if you hiked in three hours and you drove an hour to get to that hike then that means that the nearest help you have most likely is four to five hours away so even if you could call me and I was four hours away. If somebody's, you know, decided to mess with you, the chances I can get to you within that four hours before they do, it's pretty slim, right? So there, there is that to consider. Um, so and I'm sure we're going to come back to a similar topic as we go on. The other thing I wanted to throw out there, though, is before you attempt any solo trip, make sure that not only do you have a first aid kit, but you know how to use it. Because, like we said, if you do get injured, that first aid and your medicines, if, if you're on any medicines or if you have any medical issues, make sure you know how to, how to handle those while you're out. Um, and a good example is if you're a diabetic, make sure you take your diabetic medicine. Make sure you take some sweets because if you get out there and something happens that you didn't realize and you end up in, in a, an emergency situation, you're the only one that's going to be able to help you. Uh, so... When you're solo, make sure that you've taken that time. It really would be a good idea to at least take, at a very minimum, a basic first aid kit, uh, a kit and a first aid course prior to any solo trip. What's your ladies' thoughts? You've both been relatively quiet throughout this. Hopefully no, to no fault of ours. Well, I, my main point that my family has stressed, whether I'm camping or going on a weekend away with friends or a trip on an airplane is always let them know where you're going, where, where you plan to be, when you're coming back. Same as what Ben already mentioned. That was our number one family rule, basically, is if you're going anywhere, is let somebody know. Again, we, we were never to advertise beforehand. Um, so that was my big point that I've always done. It's just, it's second nature to me now to let somebody I trust know where I'm going and when I plan to be back. And if I'm not back, they, they know where to send help. Yeah. And I think, um, that it's a lot like what Ben said, it's just about, um, it's a risk for all solo campers. Um, whether you're a woman or a man or other, um, it's, it's just a matter of not having that safety net, um, of having a buddy with you and being able to rely on yourself and knowing your own capabilities. So whether that's having a first aid kit um, and knowing how to use it, being prepared for your own medical needs should they arise. Um, I think a lot of women 
you know, are concerned about the, the vast unknown, but really the majority of the risks are going to be just, you know, slipping and falling, injuring yourself, some kind of a medical episode, um, something where it would be easier <laughs> if there were another person with you that could handle it and to assist you and to make sure that you can get out safely and um, that kind of thing. So it's not really so much uh, just a general fear of... of <laughs> Oh, I don't know what, but um, it's just it's just that that actual reality of being by yourself and having no one else to rely on and being able to uh, be self-assured in your own abilities and knowledge and experience. And, um, you know, it takes time to get there. But uh, if you do some basic things to prepare yourself, like a first aid course or a wilderness course or a survival course or, you know, self-defense, even if that's where you feel like you're, you're, you know, lacking in your own personal capabilities. Um, you know, there's a lot of options for things that you can do to prepare yourself to feel more comfortable. I think knowing your own capabilities is a very important um, point to make. Personally, myself, I am rather clumsy. Accident <laughs> When I'm camping, I don't typically do solo because I don't feel safe doing that because of my accident proneness. But when I'm out with just girls and any camping trip, really, even with Ben, I always am careful as what I do. I plan my movements because the last thing I want to do is to twist an ankle mm -hmm. in backcountry kedgy and not be able to get out or any remote hike. I just know that I am prone to that. So I make sure that I plan my footsteps carefully, whether I'm climbing rocks, down a hill, any, any type of thing. I just take my time, take an extra couple of steps, make them smaller just to avoid an accident. Yeah. And I don't think I would feel any less comfortable with a group of women than I would with a group of men, you know, like whoever you're going camping with, it's, for me, it's not just, you know, a group of women on their own isn't really a scary thought for me. It's really that solo piece where you are on yeah. your own if something goes wrong. I think one of the things you mentioned, though, like, is being prepared. That's going to give you a natural confidence. So having that, that preparedness and that confidence, that is, is a very important thing. Because if something was there, like a predator of some type, a human or animal, and they see somebody that's moving with confident, assured movements, they're less likely to even bother you. Um, it's when they see nervous energy. If you, if you ever doubt that, if you approach a dog and you look nervous and then you make a bolt for it, I guarantee you 99 times out of 100, that dog is going to chase you. But if you look assured and confident, it might bark at you, but most likely it's just going to walk away. And almost every, everything that's a threat to you from like an animal nature um, if they see that confidence, they're not really going to mess with you too much because they, they see that you're confident and, and secure in what you're doing. And the best way to get that is to be truly prepared and know what you're doing. Um, and the thing we've always pushed on this channel is testing your gear. And that's, that's a huge thing. Before you leave, uh, especially on a solo trip, again, regardless, know your, all your gear, your backpack, your tent, your sleeping system, know everything. And and I can assure you, me and Robert have not always thrown our gear. And, and we've generally paid a price for that. If you're going solo, it's, it's a lot harder because there's very few backups. Um, 
But if you're going with someone else, you often can, like, between your gear, figure something out, or between you, figure something out. Um, so if you want to be confident and comfortable, make sure that every piece of gear you're going, you've taken out, you know how it works, you know how to set it up, you know how to how to operate it, you know how to, to do basic maintenance on it. And that's going to do a ton for your confidence in getting out there. Um, there'd be nothing worse. And uh, I think you have a, a story when you and your friends went and you forgot the poles of your tent. Yeah. Like, that's the type of things, though. Like, if you don't know your gear, you don't know you have everything, and you get out there by yourself, why do you do in that situation? So making sure that you have that, that taking that extra time to make sure you actually truly are ready would be a huge hint uh, for me, for anyone making a trip, be, be it solo or otherwise, but make sure you know your gear, especially on a solo trip. There is no backup. There's nobody to say, oh, wait, you can just do this. You have to figure it all out on your own. So I think when me and you went, Robert, and you had brought a new uh, strap system for your hammock, it was, it was awful convenient <laughs> to have somebody who knew how to use that strap system. Yeah. Right? And, and you would never have done that by yourself. No, I would not. One of the points I was going to make, which was just kind of reader what you said, is going solo is not a time to experiment. The only reason no. I brought a whole new uh, whoopee sling system with straps was because you were there with me, Ben, and I knew you had a fair amount of skill in that. Like you, you were the yeah. person that taught me what I know about hammock camping to this point. So I was confident going, Ben's going to be able to put this together for me. Also, before we left, I said, Ben, if I take this stuff, one, can we do a video doing it? And two, can you do it in the woods? <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's, that was good planning. We had planned ahead. We had a solution. Um, and I think that's, that's the thing you keep in mind because it's tempting to buy a new piece of gear and we're all guilty of it. You see, Oh, no, I just got this awesome new piece of gear. And then let's take it on the next trip. And then you get out and you realize, I didn't have all the pieces or, Oh, I, I didn't understand that I needed this extra thing or, or this is how it really works. And this wasn't a good choice for this type of trip. Um, getting out and testing that gear. And we've often said, like, test it in the backyard, test it test it in a local park for a day trip. Just do a day trip in. Don't plan on spending the night, but set your whole setup in. See how the pack works. See how it all works. Because it's it's too late when you, you've paddled in, you know, five, six miles across a lake and you wake up the next morning and your kayak's on. It's too late. <laughs> a prime example of that that a lot of people do is just like the little stoves. And I don't mean like the wood stoves or any of that. Literally like the butane stoves. There should be nothing simpler. You attach this thing, even the ones with the self-igniter. Simpler yet. Attach it, turn it on, light it, fire, right? You hope. No. <laughs> I got mine and when I, the first time I tried it, I tried it here in the sunroom. Uh, once again, just testing my gear. The flame was so weak, I'm like... It, it took almost seven, eight minutes to boil a cup of water. I'm like, something's yeah. not right here, right? And I got walking around, and all it was was a little dirt in the head of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I had the tools here. I could clean it out. Once I cleaned it, worked like a charm. But if I had been out in the woods, the reality was I was going to be relying on that to cook my food. I mean, would I have been able to get it done? Maybe. But at how much extra cost? How much more inconvenience? If the wind had picked up, it would have blown it out. If it yeah. turned cold, now it might not have worked. Like, there's too many variables into an equation like that. So, yeah, once again, really test your gear at home. Out there, especially soloing, not the place to try new gear for the first time. 
Uh, and the other point I wanted to make on that was something that um, your Mosa had mentioned, uh, or another way of saying it is slow down. She said that, you know, she plans her steps and stuff a lot more carefully and things like that. For anybody going out there soloing, just slow down, take a breath, be very thoughtful about every step you take, how you're going to, where you're going, uh, how to get back. Just taking a few extra minutes is really going to make things exponentially safer. And just I mean, lacing your boots properly. Yeah. Like making sure that you are in the best position to be to do successful your trip. by yourself. Like if your boots aren't laced up tight, you're yeah. going to get blisters. You don't want to be six kilometers in the woods develop blisters, and then have a real hard time getting out. <laughs> that was quite a look or something there. <laughs> but we all have a story like that. It's the yeah. reality. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? We hurried and it bit us in the butt. Did it ruin it or get us life dangering? Maybe not. But did you have blisters and you were uncomfortable and the trip could have been way more enjoyable? Most definitely. And did you hand off some extra weight to your partner because you had blisters and that made it easier and now you're solo camping and you don't have that option? So, I mean, I think we've covered the fact that, you know, solo camping really isn't your first expedition into the outdoors. Um, you know, this is going to be for someone who is at least comfortable being outdoors, has some experience, um, and is somewhat prepared. This isn't, you know, your first, I'm going to go sleep in the woods tonight by myself. Um, it's it's really not an advisable option. I and I agree there. I truly think solo camping is definitely an, at least an intermediate, if not an advanced level skill. Uh, and there, there's some huge advantages to that solo camping. And we don't want to make it sound like it's all bad. The beauty no. is when you're solo camping, you choose the pace, you choose the locations, you choose the food. There's no compromise um, with anyone else. I mean, you compromise with yourself, but you don't have to compromise with anyone else. You get to make all the decisions. And sometimes the stress of, of camping with other people is that you do have to shorten your distance or lengthen your distance, right? Like some people say, oh, I would only go four or five kilometers back, but you got somebody else who's a gung-ho guy. He's like, I want to 30 kilometers a day. Like, that's a brutal pace. Like, I don't want to do that. And you have to find that happy medium. And then what happens is oftentimes with a compromise, you have two people that are less than happy with the results where a, camp a solo trip you really can make it about you. And sometimes you need that you time, that you space, uh, because you just need that. And uh, as, as, a, as somebody who's a bit introverted, sometimes I do like my, my personal space. So I can really appreciate the solo camping experience. It can be uh, really empowering too. It's, and it, I mean, this is the topic is as a woman, um, just facing that challenge and completing it successfully and spending time by yourself in your own skin in the woods doing what you want to do and experiencing what you want to experience is definitely um it's definitely a, a bonus it's a plus it's a it, that's the goal right if you want to go out and and prove to yourself that you can you know spend this time in nature and do what you want to do and be safe while you're doing it then that's that's not a bad thing <laughs> no uh, and I think it's easy for everyone to fall into the, when there's somebody who can potentially do something a little bit better, to, to, to let that other person do something. So when you're doing it solo, you have to do it all. You have to start the fire. You have to set up the tent. You have to cook the food. You have to, you have to do it all. 
But when you go with a couple of people, you're like, oh, Robert starts fire so much better than me. I'm not going to have to bother with that. Or Ben can set up the hammock so much quicker than me. I'll do that while I'll let him do that while someone else does something else. You know, like those trade-offs, that all goes away. And it, firewood. And that, huh? Firewood. firewood. Two people yeah. gathering firewood is way, way, way easier than just you gathering firewood for the night. Whilst also trying Whilst, to set up yeah. everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's, it's, and then when you get back and you realize that you can do it all and it, it does work well, you, you, your confidence for the next trip, whether it's yourself or with a buddy, goes way up. Like, cause you're like, yeah, I can do this by myself. So doing it with a friend now is a joke. Uh, and it, it should make both trips more enjoyable in the long run. I mean, I had an experience. It was actually a group camping situation. Um, but the other couple had brought a new tent to them. So again, not following our rules of setting it up beforehand, had absolutely no idea how to get it together. Um, it took all of the rest of our party working together to figure out how to set up their tent. And while they did that, I had Robert and I's tent set up in a matter of five to 10 minutes done by myself, all the way done, set up, good to go. And they kind of looked over at me like, holy crow, like <laughs> that was really fast. And also you did it by yourself. And that was, I mean, I hadn't set it up by myself 100% before that. But I mean, once I had done it that first time while everyone else was occupied trying to figure out this new tent, um, it really proved to myself and everyone else that I was more than capable by myself to get things rocking and rolling. Um, and it definitely was a, you know, a feather in my cap of, of being able to do it by myself. So, yeah. Um, so we did mention confidence and I know you have a couple resources uh, where women potentially, they may not have the, the group connections. Like Ben, it's real easy for Ben and I to say, Oh, you just tell a friend Ben and I from doing the podcast and going out there and, you know, basically being in people's faces somewhat over this and somewhat by our nature, we do have a fairly wide net of people, but that's not the reality for everybody. And we do realize that. And I, like I said, Mel, I know you went and actually looked up a few resources that women can potentially uh dip into or pool yeah, with or... so i'm a part of a few of them um the the first thought that came to mind as soon as robert said that this was going to be the topic tonight was like oh so like fly um which means nothing to you but here in nova scotia we have a, a local women's outdoors in group um that's called let me get this right living life adventures and fly the fly stands for first love yourself um but it's a group of just it's just an online group of women who support each other in tack tackling these outdoors adventures uh they play in group hikes and group adventures but there's also lots of women that do it solo or with partners that share their experiences with other women um and empower each other and really encourage each other to get out there and to do what they want to do um so that's very local that's nova scotia um, but there's also called Women Outdoors groups. Um, there's several of those. Um, again, it's just Women Outdoors. There's Women Outdoors Worldwide. Um, and then besides that, there's Women Who Explore. 
And that group is very international. There's women who explore New Zealand, women who explore Thailand, women who explore Connecticut, women who explore Ottawa. Um, so you can search that like in Facebook or, or all of the social medias, um, women who explore and then your kind of local area. And you'll be able to find an entire network of women who support each other in outdoors adventuring. Um, I also had one book recommendation, which is Alone in Wonderland by Christine Reed. And one YouTube channel suggestion, which is Hungry Hiker featuring Kathleen Neves, um, who is also very much just empowering women in their kind of solo adventures outdoors adventures, explorations, um, and all of that kind of thing. And they very much touch on all of the things we've been talking about tonight, where it's safety first, preparedness, um, understanding your own capabilities, preparing for the worst, and um, knowing your gear and your skills and your area, etc. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of resources out there if you look for them um, that are focused really solely on either women adventuring or women solo uh adventuring as well so there's there's a lot and and to add to that there youtube does have quite a few uh female uh outdoors enthusiasts and there's a couple that i follow I, and i i started following them partly for my daughters i wanted them to see them on on tv so they would they would see that this is something that women can do too because i think it's important for for women to realize that they can do pretty well everything. Uh, and the best way to, for them to see, see that is to see other people doing it. And one of the ones I followed for a while, and I haven't seen her posts in a while, uh, was one that was traveling around the Middle East, mostly on motorcycle. And it was really interesting because she actually got, went on and talked about the negative comments she got when she started. And, oh, you, this is so dangerous. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. It's, it's, it's really bad. And it, but the interesting thing is what she reported was was generally the kindness and the niceness of the people she met and, and how safe she generally felt when she started doing it. And it was actually mostly then, I think she was from the UK, the people in the UK that kind of made her feel the most threatened. And then when she left and she went to these other countries, she said a lot of people took her under her wing and she would drive into a community and people would come by and say, like, why don't you come down to our house for supper? You know, you can't. We, we recommend you don't stay there. It's not safe. There's a lot of traffic. Go over here, and they give offer up yards and stuff to camp in. And she she actually had a really good time. And she she traveled through countries that we generally would consider less than than safe just by, based on the media. So I think generally, and I, I'd like I can't emphasize this enough. Ninety nine percent of people are very good people, and they're not out there to hurt you. They're not going to cause problems. Does that 1% or maybe even less exist? 100% they do exist, and you have to take some precautions with them. Uh, but most people are not going to be a problem. And I, I wanted to bring up something with that. If you do meet someone and you do feel uncomfortable, snap a picture. Send it to someone. Uh, if, you're in, if you're going into a parking lot and you, you go to leave and you see a bunch of vehicles there, Snap a couple of pictures of the vehicles and just send them. It'll give somebody, if they're looking for you later, it'll give them a place to start who might have been in the area. Uh, and if they see you do that, then they're like, well, they'll already say, look, 
she has a picture of me and she's already sent it somewhere. Like the likelihood of them wanting to go to the next step can be quite well taken away because they're like, okay, now that's out there. She's ran into me that the police will come. And I think that's a, a level of protection you can quickly take. They don't know if it's sent or not. They're not going to be able to, to verify it. So those are a couple of quick things. And for sure, and I, I like my main point was just what you said, Ben. The ma mass majority of people, even if you meet them in the woods, completely by mistake or just whatever, you know what I mean, in remote locations, most of them, they're just doing their own thing too. They might nod, you mo both might be awkward, but it's very rare that there's any real malicious intent just floating around waiting for stuff to happen. It generally does come referring back to the start of the episode, if people are already premeditating this and you're giving them the information they need to try and attempt something by getting that information out there. Just chance happenings? Nine times out of ten, it's a tip of a hat and you both move on with your days. Um, we've, ne we've never had a bad experience, as in like somebody got aggressive or threatening to us, but we did share a campsite with a couple of people because the next site was too far and they didn't want to go. And the worst we generally dealt with was they were they were not friendly. They didn't really communicate with us. They sort of stayed off to themselves. They were it made it awkward. But like you said, we never felt threatened or in danger. So typically, when I'm going out, I I don't worry about the people I meet because, like you say, they're just doing their own thing, going about their own ways, same as I'm doing. What worries me is is wildlife animal sounds at night and I know in my head that their animals are just out doing their thing too same as what people are doing but it's those sounds at night that kind of get your brain going you know how far away was that wolf howl you know like is it oh is that next one closer that type of thing and I just that's what keeps me up at night but I just have to keep chanting in my head they're not going to hurt me they're just doing their thing you know, as long as your campsite is cleaned up and safe, you shouldn't have any issues with wildlife. The stuff that comes through, raccoons, porcupines, they're just after your food. So everything else is just doing their thing. And we've we've personally witnessed the difference because we've mm -hmm. camped with people who have. who didn't tidy up as well as we did. And, and we've camped with, with people that are consistently having stuff stolen, broken into, damaged. Bread ripped apart. And, and, and it's the same picnic table. And our stuff is fine, and theirs are almost always destroyed. And it's because they didn't put it away. They didn't clean up. They didn't yeah. do the thing. So it's it it makes a huge difference. It's an extra peace of mind. If you tidy up your campsite, clean your dishes, string up your food, extra peace of mind when you go to bed at night, that if anything does wander through, they're just going to keep on wandering. Nope, very true. Uh, I just want to mention one thing before we get too far away from this section. Uh, Steve said, just mentioning an app called Adventure Smart for phone, computer, etc. It helps you plan trips, organize your gear, and you can set up emergency contacts, automatic help if you're late returning, etc. So that's an option for people out there too uh, for a check-in method. Um, yep. And great point, Steve. Thanks for letting us know there. Uh, now coming back, the yeah, the creepy crawlers and what goes bump in the night. Uh, Right before the podcast, Melissa and I were kind of chit-chatting, and that was one of the real things she brought up as well. 
And I still remember the first time we were out camping together, literally every sound she heard in the woods, I'd get a nudge and have to wake up and she'd be like, what was that? And you know, oh, it's a beaver in the pond or in the, the lake or it's a porcupine or it's a squirrel or whatever. But that is a real thing. And I guess, you know, as a, a lady out in the woods on your own, if you're not familiar with those sounds, and I guess anybody out in the woods on their own, we've said this before in past things, yeah. noises they travel different when you're by yourself in the woods at night, or at least they seem like they do something that could be a hundred yards away. Sounds like it's just out your tent. I've seen some advice that, you know, if these are the things that bother you or trigger your anxiety or fear to, you know, take earplugs, take a radio, uh, whatever. But then I'm on the other side of that where like, no, I want to be aware of (laughs) of what I'm hearing around me. So there's going to be a fine balance there of, you know, calming your own kind of anxieties about the situation and also, you know, being able to be aware of something is an issue around your campsite. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's kind of three levels, right? Like it's the kind of natural risks of trip falls, slips, sprains, breaks, all those wonderful things, medication alerts. Then you have like your, you know, your wildlife threat where they might be actively, you know, there might be an active situation of a wildlife encounter. And then, you know, there's your kind of your human element where you're not quite sure of of who or what you might be facing, especially if you're solo, doubly, especially if you're a woman. Um, you know, we, we've been trained as women socially to be hyper aware of our situation to be ultra prepared for those encounters to 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 protect ourselves and to you know be able and willing to defend ourselves um in a lot of situations like even those chance encounters where you're saying you know you and ben might just nod to another hiker going in a different direction you know women have that kind of back brain that tells us you know be aware um pay attention um you know maybe be afraid um in some situations and it's really controlling that and again 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 knowing your your own capabilities and knowing that you have people who know where you are and um, being able to communicate with the outside world so you know maybe camping in a in an area that doesn't have cell service at all you know maybe not be your first option um if you're on your own um somewhere that you can reach out at any given time and not have to wait until you hike out in order to be able to reach anyone um there there is a lot of I feel like there are other elements kind of underlying tones that that men don't necessarily have to think about or worry about. Now, whether or not that's a true risk, whether that's something that's actually going to happen is another thing. But I feel like that fear is kind of there's definitely a level of conditioning in there. Yeah, Yeah. we're we are very I mean, we walk to our car in a parking lot with keys between our fingers sometimes, you know, there's things that we think of as women um that men just have the straight up luxury of not having to consider um so it's an element that there is to think about um i wanted to bring something up and and i and i debated this a little bit in my head uh self-defense items Uh, a lot of people talk about these and it and immediate one thing people think of is like guns and then there's things like mace, yep. knives. Yeah, we have uh, some notes I on have those too. <laughs> <laughs> but 
bear spray and, and yep. dog spray. So these are two sprays that are quite common for people to take. And if a bear comes and what people need to realize is when you use any of these self-defense methods, the possibility of it being used back on you exists. And with bear spray or bear bangers and stuff like that, be very aware that if you spray a bear, there's a very good chance you're going to get sprayed a bit yourself. You're going to get some on your hands. You're going to get some. And that stuff sticks and it spreads. Um, and I, I, I looked it up today just before we started. Like bear spray is considered three to five times more powerful than regular mace and has a range of almost 10 times as, as far. So where mace is expected to be used two to three feet away, bear spray can be used like 35 feet away. And it, it mists a bigger area. And it doesn't take much of a breeze or if there is no breeze, the chances of you walking into it exist and you're going to be hacking and coughing. Uh, maybe not as bad as the bear or the, or the, the thing that you spray, but it's going to have an effect on you. So just be aware that when you pull these things out, you may have those concerns. So that familiarity of how it's going to work is something I want everyone to be aware of. So if you're taking something, know how it works, know how how to, how to treat yourself for it. So with a knife, know it, you may have you may get cut yourself. With bear spray, may you know you may get sprayed with it. With a bear banger, just be aware of its, its function. We've talked about that in the past. Don't, Don't fire behind them to get them to run towards you. <laughs> but it's a very real thing, right? No, no, definitely is. Um, so one, oh, sorry. Did you have any more thought on that? Oh, I just want to know what else you had on your list. Oh, well, well, we're still on that one. One thought I had, this is where our conversation came with the creepy crawly noises and stuff, is when you do bring a self-defense weapon into the picture, there's also the risk of accidental use of that too. So uh, I know a lot of the ones we looked at online, they recommend firearms, even the bear spray or any of that stuff. If you were in the woods, you're already very nervous and a little jumpy. If you did have that chance encounter... Uh, you now run the risk of maybe, no pun intended, jumping the gun. You know what I mean? Uh, you're, you're nervous and you just, you, there's a noise out there. You start getting terrified. Instead of really doing your proper investigations, you're like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, squeeze a pop shot off at it. Or I'm going to, uh, throw a rock at it. Or I'm just going to spray the mace in that direction and that'll scare it off. Well, what if it was just somebody else that happened to conveniently be camping somewhere close to you? You didn't know they were there and they just snuck out to go for a pee in the middle of the night. Now you're macing this poor person. <laughs> well, they're just out to relieve themselves. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, once again, kind of a funny situation. They're trying to make it lighthearted, but it's also a reality. Like Ben and I on our end of things we we don't really recommend guns in any way shape or form to go out simply for that there's a lot that go into firearms there's a skill set that goes into it and i'm not saying not everybody's capable of the skill set but there's also a mindset and if you're mixing that with new to the woods and in canada you're not allowed to carry a, a gun for self-defense anyway and i mean it's going to depend on the laws and then if you're trying to break those laws to get your self-defense you're just opening up an entire can of worms even if you take it out while you're hunting and during hunting season as mel is saying here if you keep the shotgun loaded beside you while you're sleeping and you hear a noise outside and once again you decide to squeeze that pop shot off because you are allowed to carry a shotgun in most Canada year round as long as you have a wildlife habitat stamp because you can do other harvestable wildlife. So I mean there is ways you could potentially justify having a gun out in the woods but the reality is should you? use it as a self-defense item while I you're mean, out there. You know I what I mean? I read a statistic that says just for bear encounters alone, 
that um, I think it was 40% of the time if the person engaged with a firearm, um, it was successful. So, you know, you had a 40% chance with a firearm. Um, and then it was like somewhere between 80 and 90% with bear spray. So a lot of people, a lot of American people, not to call you out, not to segregate you, but in these Reddit forums, in these advice columns, um, you know, Americans are all about their right to carry, and that's fine. Um, but just know that it's not always the best option. It's an inherent risk to yourself. It's not necessarily statistically better than in other options. Um, and then here in Canada and in other countries, it's, you know, it's legally prohibited in a lot of various ways. So it might be tempting to carry a firearm for self-defense um, and security, but it's not necessarily the best option. And it's not, you know, maybe the go-to or the, you know, safest choice. <laughs> If you look up the statistics for home safety, not not in the woods, but home safety with a gun, I think I can't remember the number and I'm not going to say it, but it's significantly higher than you would expect that you're going to shoot yourself or a loved one more than than a criminal coming in to, to rob you. So based on that, if that's why you have it, you're much more likely to shoot your own daughter, your own father, your father-in-law, something like that than you are to, to a criminal. And it happens every year probably every day somebody gets shot accidentally um and that's a regret and it happens during hunting trips it happens during a lot of stuff so be very very careful when you when you decide to use a lethal or non-lethal defense that it may just make the situation worse uh with most animals a good loud noise will generally drive it away um and oh i brought something for this hold on <laughs> so my first suggestion was to use a bear bell. <laughs> um, this is my beautifully handcrafted brass bear bell from Cape Breton. Um, of course, there's more uh, commercially available, such as the Coleman Coleman option. Coleman. Yeah, I don't know why I said Coleman. That was weird. Anyway, <laughs> the Coleman option. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do just on a base level that will help protect you. Just being a little bit more noisy while you're walking around. And I don't mean, you know, flailing your arms around and I am so great. You know what I mean? But, but especially just, if you're on your own because you're not having that natural conversation back and forth. Oh, I don't know. Like, I talk to myself quite a bit when I'm out there by myself. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But whistle. Honestly, if you can whistle, just whistle a little bit. I tried to find my whistle. It's somewhere. But yeah. Yeah. I don't mean whistle. blow your whistle. I no, mean but whistle. to have a whistle on hand. So <laughs> yeah. you can have a bear bell. You can have a whistle on hand. You can have bear spray. You can have a knife. Now, again, if you get into a knife fight, you're going to get cut. Expect it. Be prepared for it. Um, but it's something that you're going to carry anyways for outdoors skills. So it is kind of a naturally understandable thing to have with you um, that could be used should you need it for whatever self-defense reason. Um, but once again, a knife's a yeah. pretty up close and personal thing. You're I not going to, I else. hopefully you wouldn't just <laughs> drill your knife into the dark and hope for the best. <laughs> um, we but, have another option too, um, which was also recommended on the forums. Um, that's a good in-between uh, it solves the purpose of self-defense for both predators of all the kinds um, and for just fulfilling your time, honing a skill, um, and that is a slingshot. 
So we have this beautiful little cobra slingshot um, that you can practice your skills with, to fill your time with, learn to get good at, um, and it also fills the need for potentially pest control or um, predator deterrent or creepy dude repellent. Depends on your situation, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> And, and Robert knows I often take a similar, I have the pocket shots and stuff and it's off nines. It, it is it's, it's just a great way to kill a few minutes when you're bored and you sit there and you say, can we knock that rock off that other rock? Or can we, can we hit that, hit that stump or something like that? It can be a lot of fun. Um, I did want to say like, we talk about like knives as a self-defense item. The thing is like a proper self-defense knife is rarely one that's good for bushcrafting. And it, the reason is, yeah, yeah. There's a nice Mora. I got this nice open now. <laughs> Wait, everyone, pull out their knives. Hold on, I have more. Yeah. There's <laughs> all those knives with our reach. Oh, Melissa, where's your knife? Come on. There's a bucket. Pull them in, this, in the bedroom. There's a little uh, bucket around somewhere. Yeah. But if you just stab someone like this, most likely because there's no no guard or anything, Yeah, you're going to push it back into your hand. You're going to cut your finger quite badly. It's going to cause a lot of damage. It's a poor self-defense with weapon. It is. Uh, be aware that like push comes to shove, you have absolutely nothing. Then yeah, I'm not going to say I wouldn't use it. I definitely would, but it's not a choice. No, uh, no. That's what I said. If you get into a knife fight, expect to be cut. Like it's not going to go well for anyone. <laughs> Not yourself or the person or animal you're trying to wield it against. But it is a good deterrent. Somebody sees you have that. It's like we said from the beginning. If you look, if you go in there looking confident, and, and, and here's a good, good hint, and, and this one might be a bit controversial. If you're going in with everything looking brand new, nothing dirty, nothing worn out, you look fresh and, 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 and amateur. And that may actually work against you. And I know everyone loves looking new and fresh and all that but if you got you know a beat up looking knife and a beat up looking pack and a pair of boots that are well worn then that leads a lot to your confidence when people see it like that person knows what they're doing they're out here a lot their, their gear looks used and well well used and and that'll give some confidence so uh just roll in the mud before you head in and you're gonna look so much better exactly <laughs> Robert does it all the time. I, I do before I go to work. They expect it now. <laughs> um, did you have any other points on your note there? Or are we just going to... Uh, let's see. Um, no. So I had the recommendation uh, that solo campers, slash if you want to call it women solo campers, um, stick to more popular trails and parks. Something that's monitored, something potentially with a check-in, check-out system. Um, be it park ranger, be it national park staff, um, or park pass, um, that kind of thing is an option, um, to make sure that you have your whereabouts accounted for, um, as well as, so all the practical things like we talked about, like carrying bear spray, carrying a bear bell, carrying, uh, a whistle, um, you could add to that a personal security alarm, um, women are very familiar with these. It's just something usually you push a button or pull a pin. It makes a loud sound. Um, a flashing strobe feature on your flashlight is an option that can scare off both wildlife and distract a potential human situation that might be approaching you. Um, 
And then the other thing that was brought up a lot of times in those forums that were kind of building this topic off of was um, solo camping, but doing it with a large dog. Um, so that's another option, right? Like if you have a, a pet that's well-trained, potentially that you can again acclimate to the situation through various previous exposures and adventures and then, you know, feel confident in taking that animal with you uh, on a solo adventure. No, they can't really help you if, you know, fall and sprain your ankle, um, but it can definitely help as a deterrent for those wildlife predator um, potential human encounters that you might fear. Um, and it just gives you that added element of security and safety at night when you hear all those strange noises. At least you have your dog beside you. Um, it gives you that kind of warm body beside you kind of comfort um, to feel more secure, perhaps, if you're if you're out on your own. And, and I have to, to echo that because I do often camp with a dog. And uh, it does add a lot to my comfort level. I really enjoy taking my dog. It's company. It's companion, companionship for sure. There isn't a level of protection to it. Uh, and it it doesn't steal from the solo part of it, but it does add to it. So it's, it's a great method. And that's the yeah. thing. That adds not only protection, it adds comfort and companionship yeah. while still maintaining the solo aspect. Again, I wouldn't recommend doing it as your first time. So like Ben said, test all your gear, test all your equipment and your skills and your knowledge before you go and do this. Also test your animal. Um, make sure that they're comfortable in the woods and that they are going to react appropriately and that they're going to, you know, be a source of comfort, not additional anxiety and hardship for your trip. Um, now, but yeah. This is an awesome segue into the last point I had. Great. Um, and it's navigation. And so everyone who's solo camping, I highly recommend you take a orienteering course, map and compass course, but GPS is great, but there's not much that beats a dog. And I've tested this. You go into the woods with a dog, you go take less rights, you get as lost as you want. And you tell the dog time to go home and almost guaranteed it will head straight back to the car every time i've had great success with this with multiple dogs you may end up with the one dog with no sense of direction but honestly dogs tend to know where the two and will lead you in so if it's 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 a navigation aid in my opinion but make sure you have it you know because it's easy to get up in the middle of the night and go for a pee hmm. and forget which way your tent is Oh, it's, it's a real thing. And that's the thing. It's very easy to get disoriented at, uh, at night in a place that you're not familiar with. Uh, let alone if you're already a little spooked from the noisy noises and creepy crawlies and stuff like that. Um, just, well, it's in my mind. There's a couple comments I want to bring to light here. So Carl, uh, he's joining us. He says, always go with your gut or always trust your gut. Uh, so if you feel uneasy, Generally, you might be a little uneasy, and if things are going to be okay, you know, just go with your gut. And he says, women generally have a better sense of uh, this in his opinion. And I kind of agree with that. Melissa almost, uh, my Melissa, almost has a sixth sense about these things. Me, I'm completely oblivious. Like, I, I, I don't know, smart like dump truck, you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, she's... And even Lily now, uh, my, my youngest here, she's starting to develop things when she's... Uh, 
just a better intuition about things in all honesty. I, I honestly, I think I'm just severely lacking. <laughs> so I don't have much to go with on this one, but I do believe that there probably is a, a level of intuition that you should just definitely trust with that. Um, and then some comments about farms. I don't think there's anything wrong with if you go into the woods with all of these grand intentions and all of the best gear, and then you get there and something just doesn't feel right. You're just not comfortable. Things are just not going the way you had imagined. And your gut is telling you this is not a good idea. Do not push yourself past that point. It's okay to just be like, no, you know what? We're going to call it good. We're going to go home. We're going to regroup. Um, don't ever feel like there's, you know, any kind of an expectation or um, put extra pressure on yourself to see things through. If, you know, really deep down you know that this is, for whatever reason, not a great idea at this time, at this place, um, with these things in this, set, in this setting, um, you know, it's okay to, to step down, to, to bow out, to back out, to return, to just regroup. All of those things are okay, and there's never any reason to push yourself past what you're comfortable with. I agree completely, and I did that this week. Uh, within yeah, within this week, I was out for a hike one evening. There's a park not far away. I was walking with my dog, and I got to a point where it just didn't feel quite right. I don't know why, and I don't care why. I said, no, nope, this is as far as I'm going today. I, the easy trail out is just back there. I turned around instead of continuing the way I want it. I don't know why I didn't feel comfortable. Probably would have been perfectly safe had I gone ahead. But honestly, it didn't hurt me by turning around and going back where I knew I was more comfortable. Um, I do know that there's there's some things that I'm not familiar with this area, and I'm still trying to learn it. And I want to get that comfort level slowly. So, you know, regardless, male, female, young, old, yeah, if you're uncomfortable, don't push yourself and make yourself worse. Go back. Come back and visit it again when you feel safer, when you feel more secure. It's There's no shame. There's there's no shame, and I don't think anyone should feel when they get back that, oh, I shouldn't have backed out. I, you know, I'm a coward. I'm a list of this and that. I can't do it. You can. And and even the best of us, I say that because it's me, <laughs> but all of us do sometimes not feel comfortable and come back. And, you know, I've been in the woods for years. I'm very comfortable. That doesn't mean I'm always feeling 100% secure. Sometimes I do walk so i think this happens to absolutely everyone uh we watched alone we've seen guys from alone just get no not comfortable and, and quit people like how foolish of that but they knew their limits and that was their limit and they weren't going any further and you got to respect someone for that no for sure and that's the thing there is no there is no failure in that aspect you know what i mean you didn't fail you just you made the appropriate choice for what you were telling yourself in all honesty. There could be, and, and I feel like with women especially, there can be that feeling of, I have something to prove. Um, like, you know, I've said I'm going to go do this and now I need to follow through. Um, but again, like you said, like I said, like we said, it's just, it's just not worth it in the end. Um, because the risks, especially going against your gut and your own feeling of comfortability um, are never going to pan out in a positive way, really. So, so it's best to just regroup, reassess, and then tackle it again. Like, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means this isn't the right time. 
and I mean, at the end of the day, nobody's paying you. You're doing this yeah. for enjoyment. <laughs> yeah, don't. So if you're like not it. enjoying it, <laughs> don't force yourself expecting yourself to enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, that's why we go out there for the majority of the reason. I mean, we do have Atlantic Bushcraft Adventures, so, you know, we have other obligations into that as well. But honestly, at the end of the day, if I'm not enjoying it, what's the point? You know what I mean? If you go out there, you feel uneasy, and you're like, oh, something's just not off. I'm not, this isn't good. That's going to stick with you. Even if you do push through it and nothing was wrong, the enjoyment's gone. So why... What is the draw? What's the reason to push yourself to be uncomfortable? Just to, say you did it, just to but prove then, a point. You know, <laughs> if it doesn't go well, <laughs> you're going to know that you should have trusted your gut and retreated. And How many were... stories have your friends told you that, oh, that should have been my first indication? Yeah. Or I should have went with my gut? You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason there's so many stories that start like that, because you should have. Those are all my best stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's some good stories like that, but they generally did not go the way you anticipated. That's why it's a story and not a, you know, a fond memory. An obituary, yeah. <laughs> wow, kind of went two I different mean... ways there, but... <laughs> more, more often than that, my best stories are just basically... And you survived it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> you, you knew every, every step of the way, instinctively, you should have known what you were doing was wrong. And I'm like, yeah, I, I knew, but I pushed yep. and I pushed and then I, I suffered the consequences. <laughs> yep. you, you, you earned that on your own. And I mean, um, that's not even your gut feelings giving you, if you're not 100%, if you get out there and you're like, oh, I'm just so tired, you know, I really don't want to do this anymore, just don't. Because if you're tired and you push yourself... Yeah. I shouldn't have planned this trip at six o'clock on yeah, a Friday. Yeah, like now you're tired and you're trying to make a dangerous journey and you're just putting yourself into more more danger for no reason. I mean, when you have a buddy, and I'm guilty of this, you, you at least have somebody to back you up. You know what I mean? You have that safety net to some degree and it's okay to push yourself maybe a little harder. But when you're soloing it, you really got to be so safety oriented on... If anything brings safety into the question, it's probably not worth rolling the dice. My opinion. Uh, yeah, agreed. I, I, you kind of bring something to mind, and this is this is I have a bad habit of this, and, and I've been told my my wife, she, I have to be reminded that other people aren't me. See, yeah. see the nod, mm -hmm. <laughs> because I know what I'm capable of, and I do these things, and then other people try to follow me, or I expect them to follow me, and then they they can't or won't or don't want to, and, and I fully understand academically. Uh, that is the beauty of the solo, though. When you're going yourself, nobody's pushing you. Um, but when you do go with someone else, you do have that pressure. Like everyone isn't the same. Everyone isn't comfortable with the same stuff. And that's something you have to, 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 to come across uh, and, and, and come to a limit. Uh, and there's nowhere you learn your limits faster than by doing it by yourself and sort of really getting a feel for it. Yeah, you learn your limits, but you also learn what you can do. You, yeah. you empower yourself with like, oh, I did that on my own and I did that on my own and I did that on my own. You know, I've, I, I've completed all of the parts separately. <laughs> so, okay, now it's time where I can go out and I can say that I can do this on my own because I know if I put all these pieces together that I've had previous successes with, um, that it should be fine. I should be able to enjoy this whole situation um by myself and and enjoy the all of the luxuries that come with it like you said like being in control of your own uh choices and situations and no compromises and enjoying your time the way you want to so 
And that's truly the beauty of soloing, if anybody's wondering why you would ever go out on your own, is every win is 100% yours. Yeah. There is no, oh, I set up my hammock with Ben's help. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we gathered the firewood with Ben's help. Like, you know what I mean? And I'm not picking on Ben. I can freely pick on Ben because he's my co-host. You know what I mean? So we can pick on each other real easy. Melissa looks like she has a point right here. (laughs) Go. Go, girl. I, going back to Ben realizing that not everyone like has his capabilities. He does it to me all the time. Like we'll be on a trail and he'll like you know, jump from one rock to another. And he's like, you just do that. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that because I will fall. It's like knowing my own capabilities and saying to him, just because you can do it doesn't mean I can do it. And taking that extra step. So almost every hike we go on, I have to say that. I might be guilty of that. True. Yeah. There, but like Melissa, I'm also have... very vocal about my own needs, so it's okay. <laughs> there's, there's a mantra I have to say more often than not is everyone is not Ben. <laughs> and Funny it sounds how... arrogant, and it is, but it's 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 true too. Like I, I can't plan for everyone to be able to do what I no. can. And every time you plan a trip, I don't care who you are, have that same mantra. Everyone is not you. They don't have your life experiences. They don't have your body build. They don't have your background and conditioning. Funny enough, Steve said, I've done a hike with Ben. It's no joke when he's on a mission. And I know the trip that you're talking about, Steve. I've heard the stories from several different aspects now. And uh, I know what you mean. I've gone out with Ben a couple times too. And uh, the only benefit for me is I'm very stubborn minded too. So when I put my mind to something, we, we... we are very similar that way, but I do know exactly where you're coming from, Steve, because Ben could still probably outdo me on a bad day on one of my good days, so I get it. <laughs> you don't know what to say to that, do you, Ben? You're just like, yeah, that's life. I think everyone can <laughs> Keep would honestly impress themselves if they realize what they truly can do. Yeah. Most people can do way more than they realize, and that was one of the things, uh, for those of those you know i spent some time with the reserves and and one of the things i was told and i always found it interesting is when you think you're absolutely done cannot do one more step you're only about half as far as your body will allow you you can generally do almost twice as much as you expect that's a, a natural born protection that you have so you can go further faster harder than you think you can the body tells you not to because at that point you're putting yourself at higher risk um, but you, as you do things, you will, re- you can, you will realize you will surprise yourself. You can set up a tent in darker situations than you thought you can do a hike. That's a little further than you thought you could. Uh, and as you do those things and build that, that confidence and build that strength, you will be so much more impressed with yourself. You'll be so much more happy with yourself because you've done these things. And, and Melissa has been with me for a lot of trips and there's trips where we've started and she's like, we can't do this Ben. And at the end, we did it. And it wasn't as bad as we thought. She always sees it as, as going to be a little bit more difficult. Except that one kedgy trip. Except that one trip. Except that one. <laughs> Except that one. Except I have that. one of those too. Except yeah. that one. We all have the trip. Yeah. We all have the one trip that kind of us. The, the one for me, and, and Missy was on this one too. And it was, I blame the book. Uh, I think Fishing Cove or Fisherman Cove in in uh Cape Breton Highlands, yeah. Uh the book said it was like a four hour hike 
And we went in, and six hours in, we still weren't anywhere near. <laughs> we, had, we had to turn around and go out before making it to the end. Uh, I think it was supposed to be a four-hour return, and we were we were approaching like the four-hour. Yeah. And we we looking at the map, and we're not as close as we should be. And we realized if we go the rest of the way, we will be hiking out into pitch dark. So we turned around and never finished that trail, and that's and that's never a, got back to finish it. No. That's an unfinished trail that's on my list that we have to go back and complete. Uh, sometimes things don't work out. Uh, some of the early hiking books we bought had horrible time estimates. And I think the guy who wrote them rewrote them because we found a later edition where he's added like a day or 50% more time to everything he had. So everyone is not this guy. And he and was just guy, realizing that. This guy is a, is a hiking enthusiast, and he went, I figure, about 50% faster than I can do. And I think I go a little bit faster than the average hiker. So he was he was clipping it. And when you look at his books and you're like, whoa, you did that that trip in six hours? Like, did you run? Yeah. Did you have Were you jogging the whole way? Like, always, slow down. joke about Matt. Do you remember his last name? Matt Graham. Matt Graham. Where he just, he's been featured on a ton of survival shows. If you don't know who he is, Google Matt Graham. But for fun, this man just straps on some whole, homemade vine sandals and will run 30 kilometers. I think and in his like, bio he says he can I mean, run like 100 kilometers in a day or something. It's, it's, like it's absolutely ridiculous. If I ran 100 kilometers in my lifetime, I'd be happy. (laughs) And he's done a bunch of survival stuff. He's done dual survival with Dave Canterbury. He's done, like, a bunch of, like, really high-profile survival stuff. But this man lives permanently full-time off the grid he is naturally a runner he he can sprint these long distances for absolutely no reason what Um, what show was we were watching dude you're screwed uh basically they fly you out somewhere and they drop you off you have x amount of time to get back to certain location that's the gist of it anyway for the for the majority of the time he was just relaxing he was just like enjoying himself oh this is all so beautiful and then on the last morning he's like well guess i'll run out of here now and just beelines it to the end of it literally like his last day he just runs just runs the entire day so i mean everyone has different capabilities everyone has a different level of fitness of of experience of all of the things so don't ever compare yourself to anyone else meet your own goals follow your own heart intuition and just do your best <laughs> I, i'm by no means a sprinter i'm much more of a tractor <laughs> <laughs> give me my load i'm gonna go straight and i'm not gonna stop for almost anything but yeah i'm not running out of anywhere if you yeah. see me running, keep up. Keep up, because something's yeah. wrong. It's just, it was just funny in the in the land of comparing different survivalists that have yeah. reached that level of, you know, international television. And Matt Graham is a whole breed unto himself when it comes to traveling between point A and point B in whatever time he has specified. Um, and it really gives you a, a scale of <laughs> there's the guy that set your six hour mark ben. <laughs> yeah of comparing yourself to what can be done but probably won't ever be done by us so well, we, we did the liberty lake loop and that's 60k i think uh and we took three days we had 20k a day 
And that that was the one that we referenced earlier. Her feet got galled up in the in her, in her footwear, and and on the third day she she suffered. And when we got picked up by the ranger on that trip, and this this trip's been mentioned before on this podcast, I was chatting with the 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 ranger. I think he was a park maintenance park guy. Park maintenance guy that picked us up and drug us out where we met the ranger. And he yeah he talked about another guy on his crew that would take a backpack, he would fill it with toilet paper, and he would run the Liberty Lake Loop in a single day and replace all the toilet paper and all the things and clean all the bathrooms. And he did it in a single day. And he just jogged it like like it was nothing. He did 60 kilometers in a day. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see, unrealistic expectations for somebody like myself. Yeah. I would jog the first five feet, and that's where you would find me the next day. <laughs> going back to the, the hiking books being revised, that hike is now rated for a minimum three night, four day. Yeah. They've added a whole day to it because people are just not being able to finish it yeah. in in accordance with that book. So and and it and it's more enjoyable that way too. Take the extra night. Take a slow day in the middle. Take a day to relax. You know, half a day and then carry on. Like just I think that's probably a good place to end this thing. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, we're kind of digressing off here, for, but much but like we do at the end of our podcast. <laughs> but if you're doing a trip, don't... It's not a race. Yeah, especially yeah. a trip. Don't plan for more than you... Plan that extra t- time to enjoy it. Plan that time to cook the good meal. Plan that time to enjoy the sunset. Plan the time to really enjoy your trip. Like we said, right at the back, or right at the start. Slow down. Enjoy it. The only person you're competing with out there is yourself. And the only reason you should be out there is to enjoy it. So if you're out there punishing yourself, I think you really need to rethink your your strategy here. Get out there, really enjoy it, figure out what you're doing. Uh, There's so much you can get out of being in the woods. That's the whole point of this channel. It's, It's been the point from the beginning. Uh, make sure that you, you're doing it so that you can enjoy it. Because I think if you plan a 60-kilometer trip through some of the roughest terrain in, in, in that province, hmm. and you decide, I'm going to do it in two days, you might do it. I, just, I think you probably will if you're, if you're in decent shape. Are you going to enjoy it, and are you going to remember any of it? Because honestly, I think you're going to have to pretty well shut your mind down and just go. And at the end of it, when someone says, what was it like? You're going to say, it was awesome. And then they're going to like, what did you see? And like, I seen the trail, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? I seen rocks and trees and they went by fast and I kept moving and I slept in the fetal position for four hours, got up and moving. <laughs> With and your lungs in. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said. Trip, oh, sorry. We did it. We stopped. We, we sunbathed on a, on a, a helicopter pad we, we've seen a few extra things even in the three days we had extra time uh but we we said at the end we wish we had taken an extra day to enjoy it better to not feel rushed because we could only spend half an hour because we knew we were a little behind at certain spots where we would have stayed longer we would have been able to prepare nicer meals uh we would have probably also carried slightly lighter gear but we didn't know that at the time so we learned a lot and, and I don't think there's any trip you don't learn something. If you don't think about it a bit more, you must have learned something. So like Ben said, probably a good spot for us to end it off there. So any final thoughts? Might as well start with uh, you folks over there, Ben. What about you and Missy? Do you have any final thoughts, final comments on uh, 
solo camping spe uh, specifically for females? I, I, I think before we start with, if you're going to solo camp, uh, make sure that you're prepared and confident enough to do it. If not, really look into some of those options that Melissa had pointed out where you can find other like-minded people. Me and you found a lot of people through the social networks and stuff. They exist for women too. Find them, find some you're comfortable with. Uh, I would probably not do what I've done in the past and just meet them blind in the woods. Maybe meet them for coffee or something the day before. Uh, I mean, I met Jeremy that way and I still got a question whether that was a good decision or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I started a podcast with someone that way. I mean, I'm still questioning it. So, uh, but yeah, take a few minutes to meet the people. Make sure that you've discussed the things that should be discussed. What are your capabilities? What are you taking? Is there something we can get rid of that's duplicate that we don't really need to do? Have those little things and then build your way up to a solo trip. Make the first solo trip small, work your way into slightly bigger ones. Don't try to do uh, Liberty Lake Loop, for example, or the, the Gross Morn. Was it a four-day trip through Gross Morn? Don't do that as your first solo trip. That's probably a bad idea. Cape Chignecto, yeah. that's a rough one. Choose a trip that you know you can handle quite well. Do a few small ones, build your way up. Take your time. My main point right from the start is let somebody know where you're going, when you plan to be back. That's the safest thing to do. So that somebody knows where you are. You can be by yourself, but somebody knows in case something happens. Uh, mine just circles back to our previous episode, which was embrace the adventure. Um, you know, ultimately, if you have all of those pieces, the experience and the preparedness, um, where you're getting to the point where you're like, okay, I can tackle a solo adventure, um, then really just... Just embrace the adventure. Know that things might not go exactly as planned. Um, trust your instinct. Follow what you want to do. And, uh, you know, celebrate your successes along the way, however big or small they are. And, I mean, I think... I mean, there's there's the Hollywood movie of, like, Reese Witherspoon and Wild, where she decides she's going to just go for it and do the Pacific Crest Trail by herself, and you can see all the hardships and the ridiculous amount of obstacles faced and the fears. Um, you know, that's Hollywood, but, you know, all of those fears don't necessarily, you know, have a place in your adventure. Um, you can really just just rest easy in your own preparedness and and see where it leads you. Yeah, I don't recommend you start that trail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I always think about when I'm like women on their own in nature. It's straight to wild and and not having a hiking boot for half the trip. But you know, it's not ideal. Uh, so yeah, so you know, engage with those social communities. Engage with all of the training pre-preparedness kind of skills that you can engage in um, before you before you get out there and do it. So, um, I guess my final thought would be soloing can be amazingly rewarding and fulfilling. Uh, so don't get bound up on fear. Fear, uh, there's healthy fear, and then there's unnecessary fear, and don't let the unnecessary fear bog you down, I guess. <laughs> the reality is most of your meetups with people in the woods, 
are probably going to be positive. Animals are generally going to leave you alone. Uh, so get out there and have some fun, but be safe about it. On that note, that animals will generally leave you alone and people are generally good, still make sure somebody knows where you're going, like uh, Ben's Missy said there. get uh, Have a plan. Touch base with people. Get your bear bells. Like, there's things you can do that are reasonable for anybody to stay safe out there, um, and especially for females. Like you said, with the uh, the mindset and stuff there, just be a little extra safe. Uh, and if you can, definitely have that buddy to go with. And if you can't, enjoy the adventure. Or don't want to. It's okay yeah. to go on your own. Just, just know what you're getting yourself into and be ready to go. Like, do it for yourself. Yeah. So I think that's a good place, Ben. Your thoughts? That's it, yeah. Same as always. Get out there, have fun, enjoy yourself. Um, let us know how it goes. We'd love to hear from you. As always, get out there, play safe, of course. Uh, let us know, as Ben said, and we'll see you next week. Night, everybody. Night.